Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 158. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with the endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them. I don't know, you can have multiple if you want. Um, and then, yeah, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but... Um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk. And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Hi guys, thank you so much for the patience. Um, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll know that um, I had to postpone my planned recorded episode on Friday because lots of things happened. I was very unwell and we lost our family cat, my mum's cat. And yeah, I planned to <laughs> planned to record it yesterday. And we went on what we thought was a short hike in the morning and we were going to do it yesterday and we got lost um, for hours <laughs> in the Greek mountains and didn't get back until about half seven. So today's episode is another live Q&A, but a very old one. Um, so you may not have heard it, um, all on nutrition for endometriosis, literally like the foundations of nutrition for endometriosis. So I'm really hoping that this is helpful because I'm not sure that I've done like a foundation kind of episode. I've had lots of interviews with people and I've talked about aspects of nutrition, but hopefully this will be a good foundation for anyone who feels like they need to go back to basics or who is new to this type of eating for endo. Um, and so... Tomorrow, Monday, will be another live Q&A because obviously that's the person at the moment. And on Friday, I'll be releasing um, a brand new episode. The episode that I had planned to go out this week. And yeah, so I'm just going to go into this a little bit very briefly because I'll probably do an episode on this um, about what's kind of happened being in Greece with my health. Um, I think mentally and emotionally, it's been really good for my healing Physically, not so much, even though I'm eating like low FODMAP during the week and we're on a budget here. So we're, we're only eating a meal out like about once a week, twice at the most. And then we might buy like a snack out or something like that. 
the, I don't know, it's just become like a, I don't know, my gut health has become a bit of like a downhill spiral, despite having like, it, it would be a lot worse. It would be a lot worse if I didn't have like my supplements with me, um, symptom management tools, all of those things. But definitely since I had that incident on the boat where I had like this massive panic attack and I couldn't, I just couldn't get my nervous system under control. Since like it, my IBS issues were like, had gotten like, they'd flared up again since being in Greece. Um, and I realized how much they had actually reduced. I realized how much, you know, even before clearing SIBO, like I've said this to you guys before, like, it wasn't so much that I had IBS issues that I couldn't live with. It was more that my gut health had been so compromised that I now had like histamine intolerance and mold issues and stuff. And that's, and bladder pain. That's why I went down that SIBO healing road. I wasn't absorbing nutrients, those kind of things, but I wasn't having like dramatic IBS symptoms anymore. Even my bloating was under control, like was very livable. But being here in Greece, even though we're not eating out loads, um, it's where we have been because we're on small islands. I think it would be very different if we were in Santorini or Mykonos. Um, but because we're on small islands, it's very, very difficult to get a meal that's like both gluten-free and dairy-free. I've seen beans on the menu like twice, I think. But obviously then they're laden with like garlic and onions. So I just can't eat like a complete, a completely IBS-friendly meal out. And even though we're not eating out regularly, I just started flaring up. And then after, it feels like after we had that boat ride, it's just exaggerated and it's just continued to escalate. And I feel like my gut symptoms feel like they were like seven years ago before I started like managing my endo because that really got my, that actually when I managed endo and I removed gluten and I removed dairy, that's when my IBS symptoms really got under control. But now they're back to what they were like about seven years ago. And it's actually quite shocking. Like I'm, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe I lived like this. And secondly, it's made me realize how much better I have been. Um, and so it's kind of given me a new outlook on my SIBO treatment. Um, and obviously, like I said to you, I think, unfortunately, I relapsed very quickly after my SIBO, all clear. And obviously, I still have SIFO. There's still so much to, to heal. Um, but it's shown me that, like, 100%, like, gluten and dairy, like, I'm so intolerant to and sometimes I forget because I'm like because I'm managing my endometriosis and my health issues so well I almost sometimes feel like oh it wasn't that bad or like actually you know I'm fine I could you know I'm at like I don't know I almost just don't believe that I've achieved what I've achieved and and that what I'm doing works and then I <laughs> change what I'm doing and I realize how ill I could feel and so anyway on Sunday uh, on Friday I'm not sure what happened but this has happened a couple of times and so I get dizzy a lot this is one of the reasons why I'm looking into Ellis-Danlos syndrome because it can also come with POTS 
um, which causes dizziness and heart racing, things you guys know that I deal with. And um, I have had really, really bad dizzy spells in past, I'd say a year or two, um, that have been debilitating. Doctors don't know what it is, and to be honest, they don't really care. Um, and they just sort of shrug it off. Um, so when I get home, I'm 100% getting this Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, getting assessed for POTS. I just need to get um, some insurance. And then my Vala doctor is ready to refer me. But I've had these dizzy spells where I can't lift my head and I can barely get out. I can barely stand. And they last like for 20... The last time I had it was when we went to Scotland and it lasted for about 48 hours. Um, but anyway, we woke, I woke up and I got up to go to the toilet and I was dizzy and I was like staggering. But I thought that I was just like, you know, you got up too fast, still sleepy. Anyway, it got worse and I felt really, really sick. And the room was spinning to the point where it, I felt like I was when I was 18 and I would get hammered. And, you know, you'd go to bed and, like, your bed was spinning. It was that level. And I could, like, my head was so heavy, like, trying to lift my head up. Like, if I moved my head, once I stopped moving my head, so say I turned my head, like, from front, like, kind of facing forward and I turned left, I would continue feeling like I was turning left for, like, a good minute or two afterwards. Um, so I had to just sit in bed for three, four hours um, until I really had to get up and pack to leave for our ferry. And I'd planned to do the podcast during that time. And so it lasted the whole day. But as I moved around and got on the ferry, it it subsided. Um, Not subsided like completely, but to like a, a standard that I could cope with. Obviously, packing was not fun bending down and putting fingers into my suitcase and stuff. Um, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. But it didn't last as long as it lasted when we were in Scotland. That was like full on 48 hours, if not longer. So coupled with like the heart racing, um, constant dizzy spells, I get dizzy a couple times a day. Yeah, I just, I really want to get POTS looked into a couple of other things that are associated with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, when you have one chronic illness, you are likely to have others. So I think there are a couple of other things that are going on that aren't directly, certainly indirectly, or co-conditions of SIBO and endometriosis, but they're not directly linked to those two. I think that having my IBS symptoms haven't hasn't helped. It, I mean, it could be that I just am not absorbing stuff at the moment because my gut is so on happy so then I'm low maybe on iron or b12 that could be what cause of dizziness but anyway that's a very short whistle stop tour about what's been going on I've been loving being in Greece but um you know you only see the highlight reels on Instagram but behind the scenes I've been really up against these IBS issues um and I'll do like a full I'm going to do sort of like an Instagram post about things that I've learned you know traveling with these conditions and things like that so anyway that's what's been going on um I still don't feel great I sort of wake up and feel unwell but um but I can live with it I can manage it I can work with it but thankfully I don't feel like I did on Friday so yeah that's what 
that's what's been happening. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to remind you that this coming, this week coming on October the 5th and October the 7th, I have my very first creating a roadmap for endo belly healing and I'm so excited about this. So in this workshop, I'm going to be teaching you about how to uncover what your core endo belly challenges are. I'm going to teach you the first, second and third line therapies for identifying it, identifying and healing your root causes. And I'm going to be helping you guys to set goals and next steps so that you can actually begin your healing journey. So you've got a roadmap and you can literally go away from the uh, workshop with a roadmap that you can take forward to begin your endo belly healing. So if you would like to join, there's um, still time and you don't have to join live. So if you can't come to the sessions live, they're at 6 p.m. British summer time, then um, you will get a recording the next day, but you must be signed up to get the recording. Otherwise, I can't send it to you. So um, the link is in the show notes to sign up and just make sure you sign up for either one. You don't have to sign up for both. Um, and I'll send you the recording if you can't make it live. But if you can make it live, it's it's a really interactive session. There's going to be a lot of discussion, lots of Q&A opportunities. Um, so I hope to see you there. Now let's get to today's episode. So as I said, it's uh, Nutrition for Endo 101. Uh, 101. And today I'm talking about the research behind anti-inflammatory diets and the most researched diets for pain. The key components of an anti-inflammatory diet why personalization is so important, deficiencies, absorption of nutrients, and how to ensure variation, how to eat for blood sugar, and I do also answer some specific SIBO, gut questions, and foodie questions. So I really hope you find this episode useful, and um, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Which foods are good for endo? So massive, massive disclaimer here. Um, Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Alice. Do you know what it is? When I do this um, more on skincare, which I've been talking about doing, um, basically, since I've been doing my SIBO treatment, my skin has got really, really dry. And um, this is a pure vanity thing, but um, I've, like, literally since doing the SIBO treatment, I've started getting wrinkles on my forehead. And what's so interesting is in, I think it's, I don't know, reflexology or acupressure or something like that, they say that small intestine is reflected in the middle of your forehead, which is so weird um, because obviously I'm killing everything in the small intestine and unfortunately in the large intestine because it kills both in most cases. And my skin's got really, really dry and my hair's got really dry as well because obviously everything comes, like if something's going on in your gut, you see it in your skin and your hair. So I'm having to like throw loads of products on. Um, and so I'm using, um, oh, what's it called? Skin Food. I'm using Skin Food by Welder. It's natural, non-toxic, very, very thick. So it's making my hair super greasy. Every time I put it on my like face, my hair gets greasy. I'm like washing my hair every day. Um, and, um, I got a 50 SPF face spray because I use 50 SPF. I'm really pale. I've got a history of skin cancer in my, in my family. Um, and I just don't want to wrinkle. And um, I've been using this 50 SPF spray, which is great, but it doesn't 
it doesn't really dry so I just look like kind of I mean it looks glowy here but it's not it's oily but it is good um Nicole are you doing the SIBO treatment now I've noticed the more water I drink the better my skin gets for sure yeah so I mean I drink a ton of water I drink at least three liters a day um and I actually had to cut down because I was drinking a crazy amount I literally was drinking six liters a day not out of choice I was just thirsty all the time um which is to do with my adrenals another story um and so I drink about three litres a day and this is, I've never had dry skin like this. Um, it's very noticeably dehydrated. It's not dry skin, it's like dehydration, right? It's not like flaky or eczema. Um, and yeah, I've been doing the SIBO treatment since October and it's since then that like the dehydration has kicked in. And like what's so interesting is when my skin is hydrated, the, the wrinkles that are showing up, I mean, you can see them now, they go. Like when I've got like, when I've got enough like hyaluronic acid on and stuff like that, they go. Um, so I'd be really interested to see what happens once I'm off the SIBO treatment. My gut's super repaired, super repaired, but this is, this should be my last round. I'm going to talk to you guys about it in another um, podcast probably, but I just got my results back and they're like basically borderline negative. Like, yeah, they're borderline negative. They're kind of maybe negative, maybe a slight positive. So I'm just going in with one more round. I'm doing antibiotics so I can tell you guys what the antibiotics are like. Because I haven't done that yet. I've done elemental and I've done antimicrobial. Um, and because I can't measure whether I've got hydrogen sulfide, and I think I have, and I've still got the hydrogen sulfide symptoms, I'm just going in with this last round. Um, and I think that will clear it. So fingers crossed I just started today. Um, okay, so, oh, but your skin quality, thank you. That's so sweet, thank you. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um, if you have a gluten allergy, be careful, well done. I don't have a gluten allergy, but I don't tolerate gluten, although my brother and sister have celiac disease. Um, but yeah, I don't tolerate it well. I'm intolerant to gluten, so I don't eat it. Um, that's interesting, damn. Um, but you're doing the second round of Rifaximin. Yeah, I would, Nicole, if this, if the second round doesn't clear, I would alternate onto antimicrobial or elemental because the most effective you're gonna get is alternating. Um, so that's gonna kind of give you the most bang for its for your buck. Um, okay, so let's talk about beneficial foods for endo. So again, massive disclaimer, everyone is unique, everyone is different. Um, and what might be anti-inflammatory for one person could be inflammatory for you, depending on your body's needs. Um, so just to give you a quick example, tomatoes are really anti-inflammatory. Anti they're known for it, like they're just like olive oil, like they're super, super inflammatory. I can't eat tomatoes, they're really inflammatory for me because I have histamine intolerance, just to kind of give you guys an idea. Um, and so just to get that out there, you know, if I was working with you one-on-one, -on -one, it would be very tailored. So this is general, very general advice. Um, so endometriosis is an inflammatory condition, right? That's its nature. And what is causing the pain is the inflammation. So inflammation is, is normal. That's a normal response to your body. It's part of your immune system. So if you cut your finger or if you have an infection, inflammatory cells will go to that area to heal that area and protect the area and they will they will basically puff up the area swell it up so you'll get things like redness heat swelling and pain from inflammation um and a fever as well if it's if it's that kind of inflammation um but obviously that's like if you have 
uh, an infection or something, you're, you're going up a, heat, a fever. Um, so with endometriosis, it's an inflammatory condition. It thrives off inflammatory chemicals known as prostaglandins E2. So those help it to develop. It also releases prostaglandins E2 into the, um, into the pelvic area. And that just kind of creates a cycle, right? The inflammation that it's given out is also helping it to, to feed it. Um, and when we have inflammation, that creates adhesions and scar tissue. So we really want to calm that inflammation down. So when we are um, thinking about nutrition for endo, that's the first place we're leading with, like anti-inflammatory. Um, then secondly, we want to make sure that your diet is really, really nutrient dense because people with endometriosis tend to have gut health issues. They tend to not be absorbing that well. Now that's like a really big generalization, but most of my clients that I work with don't absorb their nutrients very well. Um, so we really wanna make sure that they're having a really nutrient dense diet and that we support their gut to, to take those nutrients in. Um, but often there are deficiencies involved and if you're, if you're very stressed, um, if you're in pain a lot, that stress depletes certain nutrients. And also, if you're on the pill, that depletes certain nutrients as well. So you really want to, especially if you're on the pill, we want to top up those nutrients. Um, and things like magnesium are often low, which is really essential for reducing your pain because magnesium gets used up in the stress process and it's also used up when you're bleeding. So if you're bleeding a lot, you're gonna lose magnesium. If you're bleeding a lot, you're gonna lose iron as well. So we wanna make sure it's really, really nutrient dense. And then we wanna make sure it's blood sugar balancing because ensuring that your blood sugar is balanced like it is not true that blood sugar is only important for um, for diabetes, it's, it's not true at all. Blood sugar is one of the main ways to manage your hormones. It is so, so important. And if your blood sugar is dysregulated, that is a key driver for pretty much all chronic diseases, um, cancer, all of these things. So we're kind of looking at three components, anti-inflammatory, nutrient dense, and blood sugar balancing. And so, Many, many diets can be anti-inflammatory. There's not kind of like a one size fits all um, anti-inflammatory diet that is um, for endo specifically, but paleo can be anti-inflammatory, vegetarian, um, vegan can be anti-inflammatory, Mediterranean. Now, what most of the research has been um, done on, now there is research on uh, vegan, vegetarian, paleo, even keto, for um, inflammation. And um, if you guys wanna learn more about that, I, I do talk about that in my course. But um, the most studied one for pain is the Mediterranean diet. Um, and so the approach that I take um, in my training, and that is generally kind of agreed to be the most effective for pain, is sort of Mediterranean diet based. Um, but very, very plant heavy, not completely plant, right? So it's not about being vegan unless ethically you want to be vegan and it suits your body, but plant focus, really, really plant led. So the reason being is because plants are full of antioxidants and antioxidants are anti-inflammatory. So what they do is they reduce um, a process called oxidation in your body, which leads to inflammation. It's sort of damaging your cells. And um, people with endometriosis have higher levels of oxidation um, in their bodies. So we want to get those oxidation levels down. And in research, they've actually shown that 
when they've applied um, a high antioxidant diet, it has reduced um, inflammation levels, oxidation levels, and improved symptoms. So um, uh, with plant foods, we want to make that the focus, fruits and vegetables. So we're looking at about 10 portions of fruit and vegetables. So eight portions of veg, two portions of fruit a day is the general kind of approach. Now, if you have severe IBS and you can't tolerate a lot of fiber, you might need to work your way up to that. You may um, never be able to tolerate that much. I hate saying never, but I've heard this from other uh, colleagues, but um, as much, you know, as much as you can, um, that feels comfortable for you. And if, and I wouldn't just leave it as like, oh, I can't tolerate that much veg, so I'm not just going to eat it. I would investigate why you can't tolerate that much veg, because we know that SIBO, um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, is present in up to 80% of people with endometriosis. There's a lot of dysbiosis, um, gut dysbiosis on people with endo as well. That's been shown in the research. So you want to heal your gut so you can tolerate um, plant foods and you can tolerate enough fruit and veg. But we want to go for colour because the colours in uh, fruit and veg actually indicate the type of antioxidants. So if you just go for green all the time, you're only having one type of antioxidant. Now, green is, is actually one of the most beneficial, so you should be heavy on the green, but you want to be going for all of the colours of the rainbow, right? So like, let's think orange peppers, red cabbage, um, bananas, like kiwis, like so many different colours, beetroot. I'm trying to get in like as many different colours as you can. Um, a nice rule of thumb that I like to say to my clients is to go for three different um, coloured plant foods on their plate with each meal um, and two fruits a day. And usually we do kind of stick to the more low glycemic. doesn't mean you can't have the really sugary fruits. It just means like on a general basis, we're sticking more to the low glycemic because that's going to help your blood sugar. doesn't make it doesn't make the high sugar fruits bad at all. But if you're really trying to kind of manage your pain, you might respond better to low glycemic fruits in the beginning, in the beginning, especially things like berries. Berries are one of the most anti-inflammatory foods. They're wonderful. So all sorts of berries, especially the really dark ones, like blackberries and blueberries. Um, so we're get, getting in the fruit and veg and your so your diet is really kind of focused around plant foods. Then we want to look at healthy fats. And this is so important, guys. Unfortunately, I think like, you know, we grew up or I grew up in the 90s where we really vilified fat. Um, but fat is essential for healthy hormones. Your hormones are made out of protein and fat actually healthy cholesterol. So we need fat and we need it to be the healthy types. So that's going to really support healthy ovulation. It's going to support healthy hormones. If you're not ovulating properly, you're not going to be making progesterone and you're going to get estrogen dominance. So healthy fats like nuts and seeds. Nuts and seeds are also really anti-inflammatory. Avocado, olive oil. Olive oil is really anti-inflammatory. Avocado is also great for fertility as well. Um, coconut oil. So good sources of fat. Olives. Um, and then clean organic protein. And what I mean by that is a lot of the conventional farm um, raised animals, they have been found to have high levels of inflammation and hormones in them and toxins. And if we eat that, then that's going to inflame us. That's going to add hormones to us. It's going to add toxins. So if you're going to eat meat as organic as possible um, and fatty fish, the kind of safe level of fatty fish 
is two portions of fatty fish a week um, and then like two portions of like white fish, shellfish a week as well. Fish is really, really important here. We just have to be careful of the mercury levels. Um, so that's why, you know, we have to limit the portion. Um, obviously, you can get protein as well for things like brown rice, quinoa, nuts and seeds, um, beans and pulses. Now, you do need to make sure that if you're not eating animal sources of protein, you are really varying up your plant sources to make sure you're getting all of your amino acids um, and eggs as well. And eggs are wonderful for fertility. Of course, if you're allergic to eggs, don't eat them. If you're intolerant to eggs, don't eat them. They're not going to be good for you <laughs> if that's the case. Um, so personalise. But um, eggs are wonderful. They're really good for fertility. They are full of nutrients um, and they're really good if you're struggling with energy as well because they're full of B12 um, and lots of hormones supporting nutrients. Um, and then complex carbohydrates. Um, so what I mean by that is complex carbohydrates like sweet potato and whole grains and beans and legumes. So this kind of like uh, covers like crosses over a few groups. Um, I don't mean uh, white bread and pizza and um, what else and, and sugar and, and things like that. Um, it's not that we can't eat those and those are vilified, but I'm talking about foods that are good for endometriosis. And unfortunately, those refined cakes and um, white bread and stuff, they're not great for our blood sugar. So we're trying to balance them. I'm not, we're not demonizing them. We can eat them, but we want what I'm talking about now to be the majority of our diet. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. And then finally, lots and lots of herbs and spices because herbs and spices are super, super anti-inflammatory. And not only that, they um, really help to support the gut. So your gut will actually be stimulated by herbs and spices to release digestive enzymes and stomach acid. And that is going to help you to absorb your nutrients better. So really think about getting in an array of fresh herbs and dried herbs and spices with your meals. Um, and then, of course, water. It's not really nutrition, but water is so important. Um, the minimum you should be having is half your body weight in ounces. So say someone was, I know this is very low, but I'm just, for math's sake, easy, 100 pounds. Or say someone was 100 pounds, you would divide that, so it's 50 pounds, and you would just, hey, um, you would just uh, replace the pounds with fluid ounces. Um, so, because water is going to be really important for your energy. If you're not drinking enough, you're going to get brain fogged. You're going to get fatigued. Your body is going to get inflamed. If you're dehydrated, you will be inflamed. That's going to worsen your endo pain. It's going to stress your body. That's going to affect your hormones. If your stress response is going off, that's going to basically upset your hormone balance. Um, and it's going to affect your gut as well. If you've got gut health issues, it's really important to be drinking enough water. Um, so those are your key key areas and really you want to be going for um 
as like variety, right? Not sticking to the same foods every day because you want to get all of these different nutrients in. Um, and what I will say going back to meat quickly is that the research has shown that kind of like two portions, like in Mediterranean diets, two portions of red meat around that two to three portions is safe. It's really the research around red meat um, for endometriosis is really when it's above that and when it's from like inflammatory sources, um, they didn't really do much research of like, where is this, where is this meat coming from? Um, what's the, what's the quality of the meat? Like, was it really inflamed? Has it, is it full of chemicals? Is it full of hormones? But generally when they've done research on pain, um, Mediterranean diets, like two portions a week, three portions a week or less has been shown to be beneficial and also for us, it's really important that we are making sure we're getting in enough iron, B12, those nutrients that we can't actually get from plant foods. So obviously if you're vegan or vegetarian, uh, if you're vegan, you need to be take, you need to be supplementing, right? With omega-3 fatty acids, making sure you're getting enough iron, making sure you're getting enough B12. Um, and unfortunately, breaking down these nutrients, some of them don't exist, right? B12 is not in plant foods, but breaking down like iron on protein from plant foods is not always that easy for people to compromise gut. So that's something to take into account as well. How, you know, when I, um, when I had some tests ages ago now, about 18 months ago, I wasn't absorbing anything. I wasn't breaking anything down. So it's just something to really take into account. Um, and so, when you are, you want to go for variety. So I'm just thinking about where I was going with this so that you're going to get like a really nutrient dense diet, right? Um, and for your gut health, we want to be aiming for at least 30, at least different plant foods a week, because that is going to diversify your gut. It's going to help your microbiome. Now I'm not talking about adding in a ton of fiber because I know not everyone can tolerate that. That's sort of a different thing. But you can still, like, if you have to eat low fiber or if you're low FODMAP or if you're on the SIBO diet and it's low fiber because of your IBS, then you can still eat 30 plant foods, different plant foods, because um, oil counts, herbs and spices count, um, herbal teas count. So you can you can pretty easily get to 30 plant foods. Um, and I've heard some actual gut health experts say 50 is better, but the research has been showing that 30 different plant foods a week has shown, um, creates the healthiest microbiome. And we know that that's really important with endometriosis. Um, and then blood sugar balancing, in order for us to balance our blood sugar and make sure that we're not getting these highs and lows, which is gonna negatively affect our hormones, um, the kind of ratios for this would be 50% of your plate is low starchy vegetables. So tomatoes, asparagus, spinach, um, peppers, those kind of things. And then 25% of your plate is a protein. Then the, yeah, and then the other 25% is split between um, fat, healthy fats, and complex carbohydrates. And when you're thinking about healthy fats, you're looking at about two tablespoons or two like golf ball size portions of fat. So maybe like a third of an avocado or, um, 
if it's a small avocado, maybe a half or something like that, um, or two tablespoons of nut butter or two tablespoons of olive oil. That's so, so important to get that in with every meal. And then your complex carbohydrates might be sweet potato or quinoa. And it's not, the kind of foundations is that it's not a huge amount for blood sugar with complex carbohydrates. We want carbs, right? But we want the most of the carbs to be coming from the vegetables and the um, but we might need a little bit of starch. So that might be from sweet potatoes, a handful of sweet potatoes, small portion of quinoa, brown rice. Now this is where it gets really individual. If you are a very active person, you're probably gonna need more, more than that, right? You're probably gonna need more starch. You need to listen to your body. Um, and this is ideally where you would work with, I don't know, like you would read a book or you'd work with someone one-on-one or you'd take a course or listen to some of my podcasts where I go into this in more detail. Um, but if you are someone who is very active, you're probably gonna need more. So for example, one of my clients, she's a dancer, and so she needed more in the way of like sweet potatoes or quinoa or something. Whereas I, I really can't have, um, if I try to have more than what the kind of general ratios are, it really sends my blood sugar soaring because most of the time I'm working at my desk um, and I'm sitting down talking to clients. So that blood sugar has got nowhere to go. So it will, really it really affects my blood sugar and it has a knock-on effect on my hormones it affects my you know my brain my energy so i tend to keep to those ratios and those, those ratios work really well for me um so those are the three areas right um anti-inflammatory foods which we just covered nutrient dense and blood sugar balancing does that make sense i think i've gone i mean it's half five so i've definitely gone over but any kind of final questions before i wrap up i'm just going to scroll through to see yeah you're absorbing you're not absorbing much nicole you said you've got SIBO, right because that will definitely affect it Hi, Sarah. You struggle with quinoa. Um, do I have a substitute for that? You could try amaranth. You could try, like you said, brown rice or black rice, purple rice, wild rice, um, buckwheat, um, teff. Those are all really good options. Um, and I talk about them quite a lot in my book, which I'm pretty sure you can still download for free. I think I've left the link in my bio. Um, and I talk about quite a lot of those in there. Um, yeah, Nicole, you ha you have trouble with that. Are you using digestive enzymes? Millet, yes, millet. Um, millet, the only thing with millet is just be careful if you're sensitive to corn. That That's all I would say with millet. Um, and millet is, it's really carb dense. So if you find that like your blood sugar is not doing too well from it, you might just need to play around with the portion. I find like if I had a bit, if I have a bit too much millet, I'm just a bit like, yeah, my blood sugar goes up and then I crash. Like half an hour later, I'm just like on the floor. Um, okay. Any other questions before I go? Oh, I think one just came up and I lost it. Does that make sense to everyone? Is that helpful? Okay, great. Um, and if you want to learn more, I talk about diet extensively 
in the podcast, um, nutrition rather than diet. Um, and you can listen to my interviews with like Dr. Jessica Drummond and Henrietta Norton. We really go deep on those. Um, your body is hypersensitive and you're, you're afraid to try them is a natural alternative. Um, I mean, they are natural, right? Digestive enzymes are natural. Um, but yes, herbs and spices have been shown to stimulate digestive enzyme production, but not, they're not going to replace it. So if you're, if your gut is struggling to the point where it just can't make them enough on its own, then the herbs aren't going to be strong enough to stimulate the digestive and uh, to stimulate your body to make it um but you could certainly try it um off the top of my head ginger mint fenugreek cumin i think coriander garlic i think onion um they stimulate digestive enzyme production um you can probably it's quite easy to just to google and it will come up with the research behind it um so you could try those and see how you go. So it's just, you just need to make sure you're having herbs and spices with your meals. And then that will, that should help. Um, but like, if you're not feeling a benefit from that, then it might be because your, your gut is just not working optimally at the moment. Um, if you're worried about the, um, I've got my digestive enzymes here. If you're worried about like the capsule, right? Because the capsules are cellulose that can be bothersome for, um, yes, bitter foods. Thank you, Sarah. Um, chicory, rocket. Um, yeah, you can take off, take out the cellulose capsules and just pour the digestive enzymes in water because cellulose can sometimes aggravate SIBO. So you could give that a go. Um, so I hope that's been helpful, everyone, and I hope you guys have a lovely weekend. Um, I'm going to go now because I have to write some client notes um, and do my newsletter before I wrap up for the weekend. So I hope this has been helpful, and I will see you guys. I um, don't know if I'm going to do a Q&A next week. I might have to do one the week after, um, but I will see you soon for another Q&A. All right, thank you. Bye, everyone. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Music.